So this afternoon I want to continue to speak a bit more about the three characteristics and, you know, uh, look at them from a different angle. And uh, there's a teaching which is called the Four Hallucinations of Perception. And it's also another little checklist you know, which the Buddha has um, given to us, which we can use for, you know, reflecting on in the meditation, or you can, you know, use it to check your experience against that list. And I'm just going to start with reading out those four hallucinations. The first one is, you know, to mistake the impermanent as permanent. Second one is to mistake the unattractive as attractive. Third one is to mistake the unsatisfactory as happiness. And the fourth one is to mistake not self as self. So it's just a different way you know, of, of laying out the three characteristics again, which are you know, really a very essential teaching. And you know, it's, it's due to those three characteristics that there's a lot of suffering as long as we do not you know, wake up to them. But it's also because of those three characteristics that liberation is possible. Because you know, if those mind patterns wouldn't be all of those three characteristics, if they wouldn't be impermanent, unstable, and not self, we could never purify the mind. So that would be very bad news because then all what we are doing here wouldn't make any sense. But because you know, they are impermanent, unstable and not self. That's why we can actually, with a wise effort, you know, we can change and decondition ourselves. We can deconstruct unskillful past, you know, patterns. We can deconstruct them and we can step out from the box of past conditioning. You know, ideally, you know, we step into complete openness, but the practice is mostly, for most people, it's a gradual practice. You know, you step from one box into a bigger box, into the next bigger box, and on and on it goes, you know, until there's no more box. What? You know, until all the walls have been breaking down, and then there's no more, uh, you know, uh, limitations, which we, you know, project onto our experience. Of course, you know, we have conventional experiences and we need to function, we need to use language and we need to do all kinds of things, you know, to, to um, deal with the body and all of those things. It's all necessary, but we can do that without believing it to be ultimately um, permanent or ultimately, you know, attractive or ultimately... Um, satisfactory because if we you know use our conventional experience within the framework of this ultimate outlook then we have much more peace and and much more um, flexibility you know to to make the best of what happens in our lives without you know being too obsessed you know with with the outcomes so you know, it's really the untrained mind casts a, a net of delusion over experience and then, uh, you know, sees things out there which are not really there. Because things, you know, they, they do really appear, but they appear 
differently than what we think they do appear. Because we see them all, you know, our sense organ display experience in such a way and in, you know, going in hand in hand with our conditioning, we are seeing things which are, we are seeing only the surface of things and we don't see into the depth. So we, we see separate things, you know, or separate people here, you know, sitting in this, this room and walking around and so on and so forth. But that's only the surface experience of what's really happening. And therefore, you know, what we do to others, we do to ourselves. And, you know, if we wouldn't be all interdependent in that way, that wouldn't be true, but it is true. And in the meditation, you know, we can uh, start to sensitize ourselves so that we can start to have insight into the truth, you know. And those seven factors of enlightenment, they are a process of sensitizing the mind to be able to see underneath the surface. And because we very often get stuck on the surface because those attributes, you know, which we can discern with the sense organs, they can be very kind of convincing about you know, this is awful and this is wonderful and all of those things. And then we just stop there. We don't go further because that occupies us so much because of our conditioning. Yeah, so, you know, to see through that net of delusion, that's what the practice is all about. And, you know, very simple example about the first of the of the um, hallucinations about taking the uh, impermanent as permanent. For example, you know, in the night, if you go outside with a flashlight and you, you, you move like that with the flashlight, it looks like to be a solid circle of light, but of course it is not, you know. So that's all experience, you know, appears to us as a solid something, you know, with the flashlight, this is a very easy experiment we can make, but it's the same with everything else too. And to really, you know, um, reflect on that is, uh, can revolutionize our relationship to experience, because we know that we can't really trust our sense experience in an ultimate sense. It's conventionally, you know, very important to you know, to have working senses because we need to maneuver the body, you know, through the landscape and for that we need senses. But there's much more to life than just that. So, you know, to step out of that preoccupation with a surface of experience, that's what the practice is trying, you know, to train us to to have, you know, to go into the depths and to um, open up our minds to something, you know, which is much more mysterious and much more um, intelligent than we could ever be uh, with our little conceptual minds, you know. And that's why, you know, wisdom is not uh, something we can, you know, 
study from books and then carry around with us. But it's, it's something we have to align ourselves every moment we remember. That's why wisdom is actually it's much more an action than, than, a, than a, a noun. And you know, and uh, Prajna Paramita, she is a personification for for that kind of a wisdom. You know, this intuitive wisdom, which can only you know, we can only partake in that wisdom if we align ourselves with the way things are. Then it's it's available in every moment. And then through the practice, you know, we can taste that. And then through the tasting of it, you know, we can gain more and more faith that this is really how it is. And then, you know, we have, through the experience, our faith is not anymore like just believing what somebody says, but it's, 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 it's founded on experience. And it becomes like a real strong trust, you know, which can carry us very far because it can give us that, you know, framework which gives us the courage and the support that we can go further, you know, into areas of our own inner world, you know, we, we are afraid to look at because it's, it's painful. So sometimes, you know, she's also called like the, the heart of wisdom or the heart sutra is, is, is uh, you know, the sutra which, is, which stands at the, we, you know, it's generally said at the beginning of the uh, Mahayana Buddhism. We are, you know, we are in, trained in, in Theravada Buddhist teachings. This is more the earlier teachings of the Buddha. And then, you know, a few hundred years after that, uh, you know, Buddhism started to split into different schools. And then another big school, uh, you know, came to be, which is called the Mahayana School. And... They're speaking a lot about Prajna Paramita, about the mother of wisdom and the, the concept of the three characteristics within that second school of Buddhism is, is often expressed as emptiness. She's also called like the personification of emptiness. And we can say you know, emptiness is just like a, a, a word which takes all of those three characteristics into one, one uh, word. Uh, in Pali, it's called sunyata, emptiness. And you know, and it sounds all kind of very intellectual, but it's it is essentially very simple. You know, and as I explained yesterday, you know, for example, if we wanna, in a simple way. Um, depict what emptiness is all about, you know, for example, this clock. This clock is empty of clockness. That means, you know, that this clock consists of many, many parts. And if we take it apart, where's the clock gone? It hasn't gone anywhere because it never really existed. It was always only the sum total of all of those parts. And the same with yourself, you know. And the same with this pair of sunglasses. It's very simple, you know, all of those so-called separate things, they are empty of singness in themselves. You know, they don't have any unchanging part within themselves. They have no 
unchanging essence. This clock, my body, these sunglasses, this building, everything. And this is what, you know, what the emptiness is pointing towards. It's nothing mysterious, you know. It's very simple. It's just empty of an unchanging anything. That's what it's empty of. And another way to describe it is it's impermanent, it's unstable, and it's not self. You know, in sitting in a meditation, we can get an intuitive understanding of that, but just starting watching the breathing in and out, in and out, that's like, you know, a direct experience of arising and ceasing. And it is by osmosis, you know, by just being with that experience really, really, really close. It, it just translates into our being, and that's why meditation is really important. It prepares the mind, you know, for insight. And then when there's the right time, you know, when the causes and conditions are aligned, then suddenly an insight arises. But then, you know, those, and that might just be like a very, very short second or something, but all of the hours on the cushion before, you know, they were needed to, for us to get to that point. So... You know, to, so the whole practice is to break through those four hallucinations of perceptions which cast a very powerful net, you know, around our experience. And to break through that net of delusions is, you know, why we are doing this practice. And, you know, it's, there's no secret sacred teaching or anything about that but you know even if you know it only intellectually you, st you still can't really see it you have to you know bring it home into your own experience otherwise it's kind of to speak you know in the Tibetan jargon of the Tibetan teaching it's self-secret because you know even you, you know it theoretically you can't really appreciate it in your own experience until you have trained yourself enough, you know, until you have developed the sensitivity according to the seven factors of enlightenment, you know, then you can slowly, slowly perceive it. It's like, you know, those, there's these kind of pictures where you have to look very long and then you suddenly see certain details in the picture. You can't immediately, it's like that, you know. You have to look, 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 look long, long time and you have to, you know, clean your your perception, to see it. So, that's uh, how it is. And uh, I work on it for a very long time. I'm still not done with it. So you have to just keep going many lifetimes maybe. But it's worth doing it, you know, because at least we go in the right direction. And... We don't waste time. We just, one step at a time, you know, and not having too strong expectations what should happen or what should not happen, because we really don't know. But if we put in the right ingredients, you know, then what's supposed to happen will happen, and that's kind of good enough, I think. 
so we can sit for another um, 40 minutes.